0: Today's episode of the Gold Cast is sponsored by Sports Depression. Did you watch the AFC and AFC Championships and feel like maybe you were a little depressed? Especially if you were a 49er fan. Because if you're listening to this podcast, to the Gold Cast, it means you're a Niner fan. I don't know why on earth you'd be listening to this if you're not a 49er fan. This is like the worst podcast to listen to or at least a bay area sports guy but i'm but i mean minimum is niners but if you were that if you were feeling a little down then hopefully we've got a remedy for you an opportunity to wallow in some of our sports depression over a sad ending to championship sunday championship sunday historically is never never a good weekend for the niners except for five times there's only been five great ones but the rest of them have been pretty brutal, and this one was no different. But before we get into this week's GoldCast, Raymond, why don't you let them know, where can they find us?
1: You can like us at facebook.com slash the GoldCast. You can also subscribe to us via iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher, all under the same moniker, the GoldCast. Like, subscribe, and comment. We love to hear from you, so please do interact. We always enjoy talking with the crowd, and so do the right thing. Like, subscribe. Do
0: the do the right thing. Like, subscribe. All right, we're gonna get into it. We're gonna talk about championship Sunday and how it relates to depression to our beloved. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) How it relates to our beautiful San Francisco 49ers. But before we begin, as always, we gotta drop the greatest intro in the podcasting game. The Goldcast intro. Let's get busy.
1: San Francisco, are you ready? Are you ready?
0: This is the Goldcast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Goldcast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Sousa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host, Raymond Salisa First Baby. Boom, baby! All right. Another Championship Sunday is in the books. And here we go, Raymond. This was a tough one for a variety of reasons. One, we once again saw another NFC West rival make it to the Super Bowl. And in relatively quick fashion, and in, in relatively Harbaugh-ian, I don't know if that's a word, I just made that word, Harbaugh-ian fashion, where Harbaugh took over the team in the first year, and then in his second year, got them to the Super Bowl. McVay has done the same thing with the Los Angeles Rams. In one year, has completely turned that program around and got them to the Super Bowl. Also similar to the Harbaugh-led San Francisco 49ers, McVay was gifted a pretty talented team that he then they then aggressively stacked up in free agency. People weren't sure if it was going to work. But it appears that so far, so good, they're now in the NFC Championship. I want to uh, I want to raise a— st-
1: Or the, the Super Bowl, you mean.
0: I mean, I'm sorry, the Super Bowl. You're right, the Super Bowl. I want to uh, raise an interesting stat. Today, Los Angeles, on the road, won the NFC Championship in New Orleans against the Saints. The last time that happened was in 2012, when the San Francisco 49ers did it against the Atlanta Falcons. The New England Patriots also won in the road in overtime. Both games went to overtime. And New England beat Kansas City and the Chiefs. The last time that happened was when the Baltimore Ravens did it on their way to the Super Bowl. So now we have, for the first time since the game we do not speak of on the Gold Cast, the road teams have won. And again, it was an NFC West team. Take me through your thoughts. Overall, I thought the games were really good, although I was disappointed by the endings. But take me through your thoughts as a San Francisco fan. How does it feel when I say those stats and we talk about that in relationship to these games?
1: Well, there's a reason why I mentioned depression early on the show and why the show is sponsored by Sports Depression is because (laughs) anything, all the relations, (laughs) all the comparisons just bring up depressing thoughts about the one lone Super Bowl loss we had and so many different things, you know, that. People question about that era, especially if you're a 49ers fan. Like, should 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 Colin Kaepernick have been playing as, as often as he was? Should we had, have let uh, Alex Smith take the helm? I think I think the game would have been different if Alex was back there. Uh, the other part of it is the uh, the pass interference call, Michael Crabtree in the end zone, of course. Three plays in a three pass three fade routes in a row, though, is kind of a weird weird stubborn play calling. That's another one uh having to do with the same play but as far as these games are concerned i mean if you wanted a competitive game that goes down to the wire everyone got their money's worth both games went to overtime they're both fairly exciting there was not they weren't blowout shootouts there was actually a lot of defense involved um typically the first the first halves of both games were very short low scoring uh contests and then in the latter half and the defense got tired We saw some of the scoring open up a bit, which is pretty common in the NFL, especially in games like this, if you're sustaining really long drives, like both teams were seeming to do towards the end there. But again, controversy seems to kind of go, seems to kind of follow. I think both games had two very controversial calls. The one thing I will say, though, is that the the New Orleans one was a lot more um, obvious than the New England call. I think the only one that stands out to me in New England, there's two calls that stand out to me. So for the Saints one, it's the pass interference one. That was very blatantly obvious that everyone seemed to be oblivious to. That doesn't, seems very odd for a ref to miss that blatant of a call. And then on the other side, you have the roughing the passer, which was thrown by the back judge who's behind Tom Brady. So when the arm comes down, when D Ford's arm comes down, it's in front of his head. So from the back perspective of the back judge, he sees an arm coming down in front of Tom's face and assume, assumes it hits his face. I don't understand why they can't, why somebody else can't say no. Uh, from my angle, his arm comes down, hits his shoulder, or they can't look at a replay. Or maybe they're not, they're not supposed to because it slows down the game. and They can only do that during certain periods, like under two minutes. We're going to review everything. Or during a challenge call, we're going to review something. We're, we're not going to review every penalty called to slow down the game. I'm sure that has something to do with it. But at the same time, that led to a touchdown drive. Um, And then the other call was D Ford, again, lining up into neutral zone. On the same play, they had the interception, which would have won them the game and, you know, granted them a trip to the Super Bowl. Andy Reid would have been his second trip there. So, again, you have a controversial roughing the passer call that shouldn't have been called. But then you have a bonehead, self-inflicted call by the Kansas City Chiefs. So even when Andy Reid seemingly trying to do the best job that he could, and again, I think he called a pretty good game. The only issue was that, A, the offensive line just seemed to disappear and didn't give Patrick Mahomes very good coverage. And then the second part of it was the defensive line that did so well, pressuring Andrew Luck the game before in Indianapolis, disappeared. And they couldn't, uh, they went, the Kansas city went right back to the same defense that they had been all year long. Can't stop the run, giving up third down conversions. Um, Nope. Nope. uh, um, Intermittent pass pass uh, um, intermittent pressure, which leads to those, those big, uh, big third down conversions. And I don't understand. So is, is this clever play calling on the Patriots side or is it, inconsistency with kansas city or is it a mixture of the two uh, i i think it's more of the latter but that's what i saw is it came down to a couple of calls the new england the new orleans one was pretty obvious and the game would probably have a different outcome if that was actually called then the other side uh, you had one questionable call that led to seven points and then you had a self-inflicted wound that cost you the game
0: agreed Both frustrating losses as we were rooting against another New England Patriots uh, Super Bowl appearance. And, of course, we always are rooting for our rivals to fall. What a bummer. What a sad ending. And then all the comparisons to our games in 2012 just made me go, Oh, I don't like these comparisons! I honestly think, and, you know, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here, but I honestly think similar to 2012, I don't think the Rams have a chance against the New England Patriots. I really don't. I think that the New England Patriots have too much experience, and I was, I'm still not convinced after watching Jared Goff today play that he is capable of beating Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. What do you think?
1: The only way he can win is the way they've won all year long. So you stop Todd Gurley, you stop the Rams. You don't stop Todd Gurley, you. It's going to be pretty hard to stop the Rams, because Todd Gurley is the catalyst of the entire offense. He's what opens up the screen game. He uh, that often goes to him or, or other or tight ends or the slot receivers, and he. Uh, and then on the other side of it, if he's running well, that opens up play action, which gives a lot of takes a lot of pressure off Jared Goff. Because then he can he can play off that, and that leads to their big their big throws downfield. So Gurley's a catalyst for everything. He's a catalyst for the short passing game. He's a catalyst for the intermediate passing game, and he's a catalyst for the play action plays that lead to the big throws d- downfield. So the long game as well. So he he impacts every phase of that offense. Not um, not only from the from the but it all stems from the running game. So if he can run against New England, which I think it's going to be really hard to do, then the Rams have a good shot if new england comes up with a very clever defensive game plan and stuffs him jared goff is going to struggle he's going to turn the ball over he's if they pressure if they pressure Jer- jared goff the way that they pressured patrick mahomes who i think handles pressure much better than jared goff does i mean patrick mahomes can make some really sensational off script plays when he's out of the pocket he seems very comfortable in that position the only thing he needs to work on is actually stepping up in the pocket he often goes sweeps outside and then tries to make his plays um, laterally when he needs to actually step up into the pocket and also move north and try to make plays that way uh, that way he can keep his eyes downfield and he doesn't have to, it's, it's a lot harder to do that, you know, but he, but we've seen him do that before. He does the sidearm. He does the no look pass. There's no quarterbacks that are doing no look passes in the NFL. Nobody does that. So uh, he's much more, he's much more athletically equipped to handle the pressure as opposed to Goff, Who's a very standard stereotypical in the pocket passer. He can't, although he can scramble, he's just not super dependent on it like some other quarterbacks are like uh, Lamar Jackson or something like that. But if they pressure him the same way that they pressured Mahomes, Goff's going to give up the ball and most likely the game because you just he's that's just that type of pressure is just too much for Goff. Goff doesn't have I don't just, I don't see Goff evading that pressure as well as Mahomes. So if he has to face that same degree of it, then he's going to struggle mightily in my opinion. Yeah.
0: Uh, I agree. I totally agree I, I don't think he can handle the pressure more than anything I just think Goff can handle the pressure Patriots have been there before they've been there many times. I think that McVay's a great coach I don't think the defense of the Rams is equipped to stop the New England Patriots which is weird because the New England Patriots offense has not been that great all, all year. this would be an interesting game. this game since we're you know we've been kind of calling back to the past this conjured up a lot of past there's a lot of past. In connection to this game with the 49ers today, and I think it makes it great for a great episode of the Gold Cast, this I would consider to be the second Hater Bowl of the decade. So we had the Hater Bowl back in the, uh, the 2014 2015 season. That's when the Seahawks went to their second Super Bowl in a row and had to face the New England Patriots after destroying the Broncos the year before. That was the first 49ers. Hater Bowl. And you had the Patriots, you had Tom Brady-led Patriots on his way to winning a fourth Super Bowl. We didn't want him to win a fourth Super Bowl because we didn't want him to tie Joe Montana, the GOAT, our GOAT, the perfect GOAT, the only GOAT with the perfect stat. For those of you who aren't familiar with the perfect stat, I'll educate you right now. He has four Super Bowls, three MVPs, 11 touchdown passes, zero interceptions. The perfect stat. Joe Montana, the only owner of the perfect Super Bowl record. Flawless in the Super Bowl. Interestingly enough, Ray, I'll add a little wrinkle to that. We have never talked about this before on air. But Steve Young, also no interceptions. In his Super Bowl, you actually have two quarterbacks, five Super Bowls, connected perfect stat. I think that's a pretty good one. We never talked about that one before. That's good, right?
1: He has the uh, he has the Super Bowl record for touchdown passes in a single Super
0: Bowl, too. I think with six. He did. Didn't someone pass him? I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. We and too bad we're never going to know. If only we had the ability to look up stats and information through some in real time via some form of technology. I wish we had that. Oh well, we'll never know. So, (laughs) going back here. uh,
1: A distant memory that game remains.
0: Yes. That was the Hater Bowl was the second one. And it was also the New England Patriots versus Seattle Seahawks. And now we are officially, in two weeks, going to be seeing the Hater Bowl 2. The New England Patriots versus the dumbass Los Angeles Rams. The Lambs. Here we go. Hater Bowl 2, what are your thoughts when I say, here we go, Ray, Hater Bowl 2?
1: Well, for one, it brings up a lot of negative feelings. (laughs) I'm not sure. This one, because it's my second time around, it's a little bit more easier to digest. The Rams only have one title. So when I put it into a mathematical perspective, as the same way I did for Seattle, I'm like, wait a minute. They got one title. I don't mind if they have two. They would need three more to tie us, along with, you know, New England, Pittsburgh, Dallas. So I'm okay if they get another one because it's still a long way to go and will most likely be a whole other regime that even makes an attempt at a second title. And so here go the Rams going for their, uh, a new, it took a new regime to get their third title shot. They had two with Kurt Warner, right? So. He won one, lost one, so I'm okay with them going to represent the NFC because I would rather have them win a second ring than watch New England win a sixth ring. I'm okay with Brady having five, six is just excessive. It's just too much, too excessive. So, I'm I'm actually gonna root for the Rams, and I'm going to root for them very comfortably. That doesn't mean I'm going to actually go out of my way and hang out with friends and socialize and watch the game with them. It just means that spiritually, silently in the background, I will say a prayer and hope that they win. And then then I'll open my eyes at the end of the game and see what happens.
0: (laughs) I love that breakdown. Okay, so Raymond... Uh, I want to come back to this. I'm coming right back to that. But magically, through the power of technology, I discovered that my telephone was capable of discovering any answer I ask it via the internet, via the web. Tremendous. And Steve Young still holds the record for most touchdown passes, six in a game. Look at that. Sending the total to 17 touchdown passes, zero interceptions, two quarterbacks, five Super Bowl rings. The perfect stat is extended to Steve Young. Goes through two.
1: (laughs) That's great. That's perfect. I'll take it. See, and, and that's the one counter argument that I always have. And that's the one that we had came up with together when Brady had surpassed joe montana in super bowl wins i was like all right well and then i think we talked to, about this to louis b too i was like look i'll 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 give him credit for being the most winningest quarterback in super bowl history but there's only one quarterback who is the most perfect in super bowl history and that ha- and there's actually statistical data to prove that conclusively So there's nothing inconclusive about the stat. Everything about his record during all four trips is nothing short of perfection. And the same can be said of Steve Young during his single trip as well. So that's what we have.
0: Raymond, we didn't make this ish up. It just was given to us. We're just just regurgitating the facts. I'm like a Wikipedia right now. That's all I am, just regurgitating the facts. So, yes, uh, let's go back to what you were saying about rooting for the Rams. This, this is a huge wrinkle now. Now, here's the question. I love this, Ray. You brought up a very difficult moral question right now. What do you do as a San Francisco 49ers fan? Do you really sit here? And watch, you watch Tom Brady, you root for Tom Brady. Not only is he already past the GOAT in in Super Bowl wins, but now it just goes to six. And now he has as many Super Bowl rings as the Pittsburgh Steelers? Are we serious? One quarterback? As many as the team that is at the big boy table? He leaves us at the big boy table? Remember, I always say, there's only, what is it? There's five teams at the big boy table. There's the Pittsburgh Steelers. There's the Dallas Cowboys. There's the 49ers. Oh, there's four. And then there's the Patriots. Those are all the teams with five or more Super Bowls. And he passes and goes to the big, big, big boy table? Now there's a new table? Where, where where the Pittsburgh and New England are by themselves? Or do we watch the dumbass Los Angeles Rams? Those idiots. Now go on and raise a Lombardi, the second NFC West team to get it, and yet our sixth ring our precious our sixth little precious ring it eludes us still is that where is that where we're going to be at this is what this is the choice you as a 49ers fan have right now and Raymond having laid all that out, have I changed your mind or do you still go Rams? I'm not trying to change your mind I'm just laying it all out and seeing if that sways in one way or another your rooting status two Sundays from now.
1: No quarterback let alone tom brady deserves as many super bowl rings as michael jordan's nba championship rings so so yes my position <laughs> remains the same those dumbass rams better win two sundays from now
0: <laughs> no quarterback It's written in blood that no quarterback shows many rings as Michael freaking Jordan in the NBA. I don't care if it's a different sport. These are the rules that the NFL gods have passed down from the mountaintops to the commoners. No QB shall have as many Super Bowl rings as Jordan has NBA rings. That is the rule. I like this rule.
1: That 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 is an overarching sports rule. Because the NBA operates differently than the other sports. So by default, by or by rule, you're not allowed <laughs> to have as many. Unless you go, unless Tom Brady says, hey, you know what? I want to try my hand in the NBA. I've done so, such great in the NFL. I'm tall enough. I'm athletic enough. So I might as well go try my hand in the NBA. Then sure, you can have as many NBA rings as you want. Go, get four, get five, get six. Do that. Challenge, challenge Michael Jordan over there. But you do not. The NHL doesn't do it. MLB doesn't do it, and the NFL sure as hell does not do that. Now we know and, and we know half the rings that Brady's got are stirred up in controversy. Especially the very first the first three.
0: I mean it's it's knee deep in a pile of triceratops shit from Jurassic Park. I mean it's that high. It's that waist high. If anyone remembers that movie, it's a it's a very popular gift now. The triceratops dump in the middle of the Jurassic Park movie. I mean, it's about that high of the controversy that those early wins are steeped in. That is a good one, Raymond. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send this out to the Gold Cast Nation. I want to know, our beautiful 49er faithful, who do you root for and why? Now, some of you may opt to root for nobody and just pout in the corner during the hater bowl, and that's fine. I may be one of those people. Uh, so, but either way, somebody has to win. I will say this: I remember when I watched the Patriots and the Seahawks go in the Hater Bowl two, or Hater Bowl one. This is Hater Bowl two. In Hater Bowl one, and when when Russell Wilson threw that interception at the goal line, I was so happy because I hate the Seahawks so much and I have to admit my hate for the Seahawks is is deeper than the Rams. The Rams are like a pesky little flea. you're just like ah shut up I don't really like you you're a dork get out of here but then like the Seahawks that's like that's like the rival that's like they're like the, they they I see them as like our equal I still see the Rams I'm like ah whatever get out of here How do you how do you how do you so I'm what I'm saying is I really I don't really care who wins. I don't care who wins. Uh, I will probably, you're right, I'll probably be more towards the Rams than the Patriots, although I'll be happy to see either fan base lose the game. You know what I mean? For anybody, I'll be so happy to see Louis Wallow in defeat. I'll be so happy to see my plethora of New England Patriots fan friends that are fans. I'll be so happy to watch them wallow in defeat yet again. But, Overall, I'm happy to see both go down. You know what I mean. Either one going down is fine. It's whatever. I hate them both.
1: I I would rather watch Louis B. I would rather get drunk with Louis B. Celebrating the Rams' victory than have to deal with the next off season of New England with another banner. So, Louis B. If you win, I will I will buy you a champagne bottle. (laughs) That's a promise. If you so you better win because I was I wanted you to lose today and you know they won they played a good game they came out on top albeit controversially but a win is a win it's not like they can alter the game and go back although that one's gonna sting for New Orleans for a long time that ref is probably gonna get death threats from very unreasonable fans um, I don't mean to joke about that but. It's kind of crazy how people take their sports, and I know there's going to be some really livid fans. Anyways, point is, life's not going to be too comfortable for that ref throughout the duration of this off season and i know that that's something they're gonna they do grade the refs so it's not like the refs go unscathed there is a grading system that happens post game all the time which is how they even determine what groups go to the most important game so the refs that we see in these games are better than other groups of referees leading up to this point in other words these refs have made less mistakes than the refs that that were considered for for these games so that's a if if there's anything positive you can take away from that, just know that you know even though they got that one big call wrong like like they're they're put in that position because they're believed to be the best the best judge of the game, and so that's why they're there but unfortunately it doesn't happen every call, but the one for the saints to me is seems seems very. It, it almost seems a little suspect like you could like that one just doesn't make sense like there's some that's like the tom brady one makes sense because it's because it was the back judge that calls the play he's I, that because that's where the flag came from if you look at the play the flag gets thrown from behind tom brady and lands lands behind him like 10 feet behind him which means the back judge is the one who's making that call and from that angle d ford is in front of him and tom brady's back of his head all the ref sees is the back of tom brady's head and a big giant arm coming in front of his face so it looks like he's hitting him in the face which he never touched him he just swings swings in front of him and then hits his shoulder and so i get that that's a perspective where the uh, the referee has a a a what is it a a perspective that doesn't a, a false perspective and it made him make a false call as a result or a bad call and so but that's um that's just how the crookie crumbles, unfortunately. Yeah, uh,
0: you know uh, who that day is going. Gonna... How's it go? <laughs> it's
1: it's the dumbest phrase. There's a lot of dumb phrases. There's 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 several things in sports lore that are the epitome of stupid. <laughs> one one of them is the Seattle Seahawks neon green stripe. And another one. There's a lot, but only for the for the sake of the fact that this we're talking about the NFL, let's stick to to football. So one of them is the Seattle Seahawks neon strike the twelfth
0: man, and so stupid the,
1: that one. Oh, that's true. That's in the top five as well. Um, so there's so those are two in the top five, and then another one is the "who dat" phrase, "who dat," which to me doesn't. What what does that mean? You guys are from New Orleans. That slang is not in New Orleans.
0: Uh, who, who, who dat say they're gonna beat them say Is that the phrase?
1: Something like that. But, but it's it's been shortened to just who dat. So everyone just says who dat. It's like that is not the team that's going to the Super Bowl. I'll tell you who that. That's exactly who that is. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'll say uh, who that is, uh, the L.A. Rams. That's who that is. That's who's going to beat them Saints. That's who did beat them Saints. What a bummer. I was really rooting for Drew Brees. I really wanted to see him pull this off uh, 10 years later and get his second one. He really could have done it. But alas, there just wasn't enough in the tank. And now we get the Hater Bowl 2, New England, and Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Going, and then we'll talk more about that game a little bit next week. But let's get into Raymond Friday. Some nice positive news in the world of Bay Area sports fandom, in particular in the NBA, and the return of Boogie. He's back. Boogie's back. The Boogie Man. The Boogie Man. He's back. The Boogeyman is here. And no, we're not talking Michael Myers. We're talking DeMarcus Cousins. He played his first game in a Warriors uniform and uh, definitely in what I thought was very on brand. He ended the game by getting fouled out to a standing ovation. While Clippers fans were trolling him in the standing ovation, Warriors fans were standing up in celebration to which uh, Boogie raised his hands in celebration And afterwards said that, you know, they were hating on me, but I got to get used to this because it's the new NBA. I don't quite know what he means exactly by that. I know there have been some role changes, but not as drastic as the NFL. But I thought Boogie was great. I'm glad he's back. What do you think? He's back. 14-6-3. Not bad.
1: Yeah, he had a good stat line. I mean, it wasn't like off the charts. It was... It's funny how the stat line changes with him in the lineup. So everyone's numbers kind of come down a little bit because now the point distribution has shift is, is now counterbalanced with boogies presence where Curry doesn't have to put up 48 or 44 or 37, you know, so it it alleviates a lot of offensive pressure off of our stars. So they can kind of have a normal good shooting night with a career best for a normal guy, but they can have a, a normal good shooting net. You know, Curry dropped 28 points. Klay Thompson dropped 12. Draymond Green chipped in seven. Kevin Durant chipped in 24, uh, and then DeMarcus Cousins put in his 14. So that's a pretty, you know, almost everyone. You know, one one three-pointer would have had Draymond G- Green in double digits for that game. So everyone contributed from the starting five rotation, and it was fantastic to see. Boogie Cousins' first uh, score was a huge dunk. Uh, uh, a bounce pass from Kevin Durant. Uh, he had a clear lane up into the paint and just did a ginormous uh, dunk. It was awesome to see. And I love the fact that he fouls out and everyone applauds applauds him. Like, like as if he completed some crazy, you know, <laughs> play, offensive play. I mean, he did shoot a three that night too. He shot a three, he did a dunk. So he, did, he was doing a lot. He got rebounds. It's exactly what they brought him in there to do. They brought him in there for perimeter offense, for post offense and for um, rebounding, so and he did all three of those things that night. And this, it's only going to get better, I believe. You know, he's gonna he's gonna put up nights when he's the twenty point scoring per, scoring person on the team. This is a guy who was super dominant in Sacramento. He was also very complimentary do- dominant to Anthony Davis before the injury. So six time All Star hard to argue with his resume so i'm just very excited to see like how this really changes the dynamic of the warriors offense because obviously it does in so many different ways this is the first time they've ever had a premier player in the center position most of the time it's been a committee of very skilled players that do different things you know dating all the way back to the andrew bogut uh, era when he was really good at the pick and roll, also fantastic at the alley-oop uh, dunk, and then you had most Spates that would come in who was a little less you know, a little bit more of a defensive liability, but a terrific three-point shooter, and then you had uh, what's name, Festus Azili, who was kind of a mixture of the two, and then you had a brand new group that would come in during the next uh, run, which was uh, JaVale McGee, who was athletically gifted, but somewhat inconsistent, and then you had Kavan Looney, who was coming off of double hitch surgery, and so he had to recoup, and now he's finally become a terrific defender, also very good uh, offensively, so guys have finally come into the play, but we've never had, you know, we also had Jordan Bell, the rookie we drafted a couple seasons ago, and now we have Boogie Cousins, who is not just a regular or skilled center, this is an all-star center, a superstar center. This is a guy who can rebound, who can block, who can shoot. Um, So he fits into their offensive scheme very nicely. The only thing that I think is a little bit different is the, the speed at which the Warriors move. The Warriors move very fast up and down court, very similar to how DeAntoni likes his uh, pace of his offenses to move, which is how the Rockets play and how the Phoenix Suns played when he had Steve Nash as his point guard. So the same thing here is like, I'm curious how they're going to tweak the offense because Boogie Cousins does not move that fast. And even if he dropped weight, which he did in New Orleans, I'm not sure what the case is, him coming off of the uh, injury uh, with the Warriors now. But I'm curious to see what the pacing is going to be like because this is only one game back, and we know he's going to play tomorrow. So, but I want to see like ten games in. What's this offense going to look like as he becomes you know more acclimated into the system? So, but either way, great news. Awesome to see him out there, and I can't. And I feel like now the Warriors have an even a bigger boost. Now, before they looked vulnerable near of the season when got we had two half our All Stars out, and we couldn't stop anybody, and we we're getting beaten by L.A. without LeBron. So it was kind of a little, I'd say, a little anxious to see all this dominating for so long and then all of a sudden have us have start so hot and then stumble so badly. But now we, we, we ran off six in a row. Boogie Cousins comes back. We run off seven straight. Now we're at top of the West again, and we kind of look more or less like the dominant champions of the last four seasons. So, pretty exciting stuff.
0: Very exciting. Great to see Boogie back. I'm very excited to see how this offense is going to gel. I think he's going to give us that kickstart that we're looking for, giving us that like just that extra juice. He's also a wild man, also got an attitude like Draymond. I think that adds an extra level of edge that the Warriors really need this season if we're going to make a run and close this out and get three in a row. I, I think this is the perfect time for him to come back. It's very obvious that Boogie listens to the Goldcast and was clearly timing his return to the end of football so that we had a major weekly topic to talk about on the Goldcast. And I really appreciate Boogie stepping out and taking the Goldcast into consideration. I think that was huge.
1: Yeah, shout out to Boogie Cousins for stepping it up.
0: Absolutely, 100%. So we will keep an eye on that and we will be back Next week, obviously, there will be a break. We have our second to uh, last week. Football comes to an end two weeks from now at the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm excited. I'm also excited because once this ends, this means we can begin heading towards the draft. And I love talking about the draft, and I love the drafts. Easily, the most exciting thing that happens during the offseason is the draft. So that'll be great. Now, Raymond. Before we end, why don't you let them know, where can they find you?
1: You can find me on twitter.com at raceolise. You can also follow me on Instagram at raceolise one That seems to be where some of the fans follow us and share news and talk to us there. So feel free to either platform. Um, I bounce back between the two. I use Twitter actually for, um, I follow sports news. And then Instagram, I actually have fans send me news directly, which is awesome. So shout out to the fans for all of their contributions. I always enjoy that.
0: Absolutely. Shout out to all of our friends on both Twitter and Instagram and YouTube because some of them talk to us on all three. You can find me on Twitter at Rudy Solis3RD. You can find me on Instagram at Rudy solis three. So concludes another edition of the Goldcast. We are the Voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Sousa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host...
1: Raymond Solis the I, baby.
0: Boom! We'll see you next time. Same Goldcast time, same Goldcast channel. This is, this is
1: the Goldcast.